Tonight we'll be back in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. start reading at verse 12 so we can get the whole context of what we're looking at tonight. <clears throat> John says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's ask God to help us tonight. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your gospel speaks of your love. And Father, we thank you that you have this great love for all your people throughout this world. And Father, we want this love to permeate this church. Father, we want to walk in this love daily. And Father, we pray that you would give us grace and strength through your spirit, Lord, to walk in the love of Christ. Father, we ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. John, in these passages, begins his teachings on love, and he's bringing them to completion in his letter. And he, what he does in this letter is he's going to end with the fruit and the proof of love. Now, we don't need to make the mistake and take the importance off of love that the word of God gives to it because the reason I say that is because the major fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. You know, all the different fruit of the spirit spring off of love. And to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will produce certain things in the life of believers. It will produce repentance it will produce obedience, faith, hope, good works, and other things. But the major fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. Now, for example, the gospel brings to us three things. Number one, it brings God's love for man. It brings us God's love for man. First John 4, 19, John says, we love him because he first loved us. God's electing love makes the gospel of Jesus Christ possible to his people. 
You know, God brought the gospel freely to us, and because he did that, that enables us to love him. And the love of God results in the salvation of lost, unworthy, undeserving sinners. And because of this love, he sacrificed his only begotten son, his only beloved, the one that is dearest to his heart, so that we could love him. And what I'm basically saying tonight is the only reason why anyone could ever love God is because of Jesus Christ. And every time that we preach the gospel here or in other places it's preached, basically what is happening when you hear the gospel, the love of God is being offered to sinners. And when that is offered, they must believe, but it's the love of God for them that they could even hear the gospel. John says in 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. In other words, John says, love lies in this, not in our love for God, but in his love for us. In other words, God initiated this love. And John goes on to say, and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. So basically we're saying is the gospel is the love of God for us. And that simply means what John says in his gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Another fruit of the gospel is man's love for God. The gospel makes sinful men and willing, women willing when they embrace and believe it to love God the Father and his holy son, Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm saying is the love that comes from the gospel causes men, women, and boys and girls to live, to please, and to worship, and to praise and obey God. And we're here tonight as a church for one reason, is because he first loved us. We're in this building tonight because of the love of God. We was in this building this morning because of the love of God. And so, you know, we're doing that because he's initiated this love. And all those who God's love is bestowed upon, they bow in humble thanksgiving to their creator and to their redeemer. There's an old hymn that says, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. I think about that hymn. I heard it when I was, when I was younger, but I wasn't saved. But I liked the hymn. And when it talks about when nothing else could help, it was talking about when I was in my sinful, lost state and there was nothing or nobody could help me. And then love lifted me. Ephesians 2, 4 says, he talks about that great love with which God loved us. Even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, he raised us up together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And then number three, another fruit of the gospel, and this is what John is mainly dealing with in chapter four, is love between the brethren. And that's what he's been hammering all through this chapter. In 1 John 3.10, he says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest or can be clearly distinguished. In other words, you can definitely tell who they are. And then he gives ways that we can tell who they are. Number one, he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. But he also says, basically, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what we're saying is, is that what the gospel does for us as a people of God, the gospel produces that 1 Corinthians 13 love in our relationships with each other. How does God want us to love each other? Go read 1 Corinthians 13. Because Paul gives a great example of what love is, is and all about. 1 Peter 1.22, he talks about sincere and fervent love for each other. So I just wanted to show you that 
the gospel comes to us and the gospel works in us because of the love of God. We're here tonight. We're surviving as Christians because of God's great love wherewith he loved us. And we do not think about that, and we take it for granted a lot. And I'm not saying that you just throw it over a cliff and don't think about it, but a lot of times we just don't think about what God has done and what he's promised to do. And it's all because of that love of God that is completely and absolutely and totally undeserved. But that's the electing love of God. So the last time we left off looking at love and its perfection, and in 1 John 4:12, John says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, if we love one another, God abides in us and because he abides in us is proof that his love has been perfected in us. And one, one translation says that this, this is a better translation. He says, when we are loving one another, God's love in us grows towards perfection or God's love in us reaches its goal in us. Now, when he talks about perfection, it does not mean that our love is flawless in this life, because I told you last time, that is impossible in this life. John is saying that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit at conversion. And that love of God that was poured out in our hearts at the Holy, by the Holy Spirit at conversion, it is being developed in us. It is, we are growing in that love. So, you know, even though the love of God's on your life, you have to grow in it. And we're growing toward perfection. So when we as believers practice love for one another, it's evidence that the goal of God's love has been reached or has been fulfilled in us. And like I said, it's a growth. It's a process. In other words, more man says it this way. He says, brotherly love is God's love fulfilling its goal in us. And I like what he attaches onto it and bearing fruit. And what fruit is it bearing? It's bearing the fruit that we love one another. So when God's love has been perfected among us, you could say when it has attained its perfection in us, or you could say when the ripened fruit of love is properly developed into our lives, two specific things happen in our lives. And we looked at one last week, and the last time I, last, not last week, last time I preached, it's boldness on the day of judgment. Or you could say it this way, when God's love has attained its goal in our life, we have boldness concerning the day of judgment. In other words, when we think about the day of judgment and having to stand before God on that day or for our Lord Jesus Christ, we don't stand there in terrified fear. But when we think about it, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and because God is doing a work in our hearts, we look at that and we look at it with fearless confidence to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your confidence that you have tonight to stand before God on that day is because of the love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you continue to grow in that love. And the second thing we'll be looking at is loving concern for one another. Because, you know, this, you know, we, we have a brief review of what we said last time, but I, we just want to talk a little bit more about that. But it will produce love for one another when our love is being perfected by God. So 1 John 4, 17, he says, love has been perfected among us in this. In other words, God's love in his perfection will be displayed in us that we may have boldness 
in the day of judgment. Now, there's two ways to interpret what John is saying here. He says, number one, you could say, by our being fearless on or about the day of judgment. In other words, when we have absolute confidence or fearlessness, fearless confidence about the day of judgment, when we sit down and think about it. You hear these end time preachers when they preach about the day of judgment, and it's like, it's ucky, ooh, ooh, will I make it, will I not, you know, and things like that. Now, the Christian who the love of God has been spread abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit should have bold confidence about the day of judgment. Amen. And, you know, the Christ, if you are a Christian, you should know God loves you. You say, why should I know that? Because I look at my life and everything simply because you're a Christian. God loves you. Because you've heard the gospel and you've believed the gospel. And so we should not be have this fear and torment and all these things that you could have on the day of judgment when you think about standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, so, you know, we should be fearless on the day of judgment. And he gives us a reason why we should be this way. He says, because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, he's talking about our character and he's talking about our status. But he's talking about the life that we live and the status that we have as children of God. We can be bold on the day of judgment. I like what one man says in Philip's translation. He says, we have boldness for we realize that our life in this world is actually his life lived in us. That's why John says stuff like when we see him, we will be like him and things like that because his life is being lived in us on this world, in, on this, in this earth. But it's not perfect, but his life is being lived in and through us. So simply this, because of the love of God for us and in us, then we can contemplate the coming day of judgment and we can think of it with a smile on our face. You know why? Because the love of God will get you through the day of judgment. You know, you will not be condemned on that day. And like I said earlier, if the, if the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, uh, poured out in your heart by the, by the Holy Spirit in conversion, you have nothing to fear about the day of judgment when you stand before Christ. You will not be terrified and hide your face in shame before him as lost sinners would do, as hypocrites will do, but you will gladly and cheerfully see the Lord Jesus and, and based in the glory of his presence. I think sometimes we put such a small premium on what God's love has done. But it's an amazing thing. What, that's why we sing the song, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? Because it's amazing what God's love has done. And that's why the gospel is so important. Because the gospel brings us that great love of God. Now, John talking about the judgment day in John 3, 16 to 18. John, John talks about the judgment and in his gospel, and Jesus in these passages combines God's love for us with the fact that we will not be judged or condemned on the last days when we stand before Christ. John says in John 3:16, and you know that by heart, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he says in verse 17, he says, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. And then he says in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned or he's not judged. In other words, he did not come into the world to pass sentence on the world. He came into the world to die for the sins of the world and that men and women might be saved. And then he says, he that believes in him is not condemned. They are not judged. So he that does not believe, he says he is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So for the unbeliever, for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ or the gospel, the actual sentence is on your life now, but the actual sentence itself will be carried out on that day when Jesus returns. And I'm reading the other day in the book of Revelation, and all those who are outside of Christ will be cast into the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone. But that's because they reject the love of God. Now, it's interesting talking about the love of God. In Matthew chapter 25, those who did not display the love of God in their hearts with deeds of love and mercy and compassion, and you've read that chapter many, many times, they are rejected by Christ. He calls all the nations to him at his judgment seat, and he separates the sheep and the goats. But there are some that are rejected because they did not do deeds of love and compassion and mercy. Now, those who he accepts that did do deeds of love and compassion and mercy, they were not saved because they did these. And as I tell you all the time, they did these things because they were saved. You know, they fed people, they gave them water when they were thirsty, they visited them in prison, and they went to see them when they were sick, and things like that. And I'm not reading these scriptures perfectly tonight, but they did these things. You know why they did these things? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. I get frustrated with Christians many, many times because there's a lot of activity going on in Christianity. There's a lot of work to be done in Christianity. And then you have a lot of Christians that hide among the stuff. You know what I mean by that? Just like Achan did when he was hiding, you know, and when he had committed that sin, or just like Adam did in the garden when he hid from the face of God. There's work being done, and people are hiding, yet and still, they're confessing to be Christians. They're confessing to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But you cannot read the parables of Jesus and to think that you are going to get away without doing anything but a bare confession of faith. You read the parable of the talents, and Jesus gave them ten talents, and they returned back ten to him, and five and five back, and things like that. There's accountability for what he gives us to do. And there's a lot of people that just hide when things need to be done, when there's work to be done in the church. There's plenty of work to do in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, if you are found in the last days having done nothing, you will get nothing. You will perish in a sinner's hell. And, you know, that's clear in the scriptures. And I'm not saying you have to do everything. One man says the church that 80% of the work that needs to be done in the church is done by 20% of the people. I said, well, that's probably true. You know, I need to do more myself. You know, and the reason why I need to do more is because of the love of God that has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. 
You need to do more because God has been merciful and God has given you his gospel. He has given his son for you. And you're not doing it to earn anything. You're doing it out of a love for a loving God who has saved you and washed you in the blood of his son. The believer on the day of judgment, uh, John goes on to say in John 3.20, he says, for everyone <clears throat> practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But then he says in verse 21, first, uh, John, the gospel of John 3.21, but he who does the truth comes to the light. And when he says he comes to the light, he's talking about fearlessly that his deeds may be clearly seen that they are God. What will happen on the day of judgment? It's going to be plain and clear that all a believer has done has been done through God. It's going to be plain and clear that all true believers are a marvelous product of the love and the work of God. And this will be on display before the whole creation. And don't be confused when John says that our love has been perfected or made perfect, that we may be fearless on the day of judgment because our love will never reach perfection in this life. You know, our love falls far short of perfection in this life. But what we are doing, we are fighting and striving, knowing that the day is coming when it's going to be made perfect. You know, our favorite saying as pastors, when people come to us with problems, and Charlie hit on some of that this morning, are you fighting? You know, are you striving? You know, people say, well, it just makes, it's just too much a hassle to get into all that stuff. I just want to read my Bible and be quiet. You can't be quiet as a Christian. You know, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You cannot be quiet as a Christian. You got to open your mouth as a Christian. You can save your life by being quiet as a Christian. And I'm not, I'm not saying you should open it in the wrong way. But a lot of people say, well, I don't think all this stuff is necessary. Well, we should be striving and fighting in this world to be a better Christian, to know that we've been saved by the love of God, and to give thanksgiving to the Lord our God. We're fighting, we're striving for it. This is why I tell you that we can't come to perfection in this life. First John 1 John 1.8, he says, if we say we have no sin, or if we say we have not sinned, he said, we would be lying. But this is what's going on in our lives right now as we continue to walk with the Lord. John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sin that I want to talk about tonight is just the simple sin of being cold toward God and cold toward each other. And that's a sin that's among that's in the midst of many churches. And we in this life, we have to repent many times for our being cold in our love or either for our having lack of love. If, you, if you're a Christian, you can't just say, I really don't care. It doesn't affect me. Oh, yes, it does. Because the day will come when you will need somebody to reach out to you in love and you want them to reach out to you, but that's not the main purpose. But you should reach out in love because love reached out to you. And that's why you should. We would be in a sad state if we had to see our love reach perfection in this life in order to have boldness on the day of judgment. The work of love in our lives is not yet completed. But our boldness and our confidence for the day of judgment rests totally on God's love for us and what his love has produced in and of us. 
And because of God's love for us, we look forward to that day with bold confidence and not fear of punishment. And the fact that we will not only stand before God on that day, but here's some good news tonight. We will stand with God on that day because we belong to him and because we are his blood-brought children. And not only us, but multitudes of others throughout history will stand with the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of God. Now, I'm gonna give you some reasons, or a couple of reasons anyway, why you can be boldly confident on that day or about that day. So the first thing is, and this is very simple, you can have confidence on the day of judgment because your sins are pardoned and forgiven and you've been accepted in the beloved. If I didn't say anything else, that's enough to have boldness on the day of judgment. You know, because of this one thing that you can have boldness on the day of judgment is that Jesus Christ is your advocate in heaven. And we talked about this advocate, but you have to think about this. The one who will judge you is your advocate who is pleading your case in heaven. You know, reading what some people say about Christ being our advocate. Some people think, well, when Christ is up in heaven and he's pleading with the Father and he's saying, you know, oh, please, Father, have mercy on them. They didn't mean to do it. They didn't mean to do this or the other. You know, give them a break. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pleading his work on your behalf. And that's all he has to do. And, you know, he doesn't have to, you know, I mean, he pleaded with the Father when he was on earth and he walked as a man, but he doesn't have to plead with God because he is God. And God's his Father. I know he came in the flesh, but what I'm saying is, is that what he's pleading for us in heaven is the fact that the work he did on behalf of the people that his Father had given to him. And, you know, he said he had lost none, and he's pleading their case before the Father. So if you believe the love God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear on that day. And I will tack this on. You have nothing to fear on the day of death. I was thinking about all the things that was happening in the Middle East and how swift things just flipped. And I'm going, you know what? I could be dead tomorrow morning. But I, it doesn't happen in the middle, have to happen like that to be dead tomorrow morning. But the thing about it is, I want to go to my grave confident, and I want to go to my grave fearless. Why? For thou art with me, and you do love me. That's the way I want to go to the grave. And a lot of people look at death and they say, oh man, it's the most horrible thing that could happen. Death is the most horrible thing that could happen to sinners, not saints. You know, saints immediately go to be, uh, uh, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And people say, well, you know, I've got some things I still want to get done here, and I got this, that, listen, once you get on the other side, all this stuff, you look back and you say, it wasn't even worth it, you know, <laughs> this whole life. You know, it's just a waste of time. I was thinking about the other day, looking back on my life and stuff and things that I thought were so great. Now, when you get older, you get some sense. <laughs> Y'all with me tonight? You get some common sense. You don't even have to have spiritual sense. You just get common sense, you know, and say, I, I tell myself all the time, I don't tell y'all because some of you tell me anyway, how stupid I am and how I was over things of this earth. And, you know, I like to hear where it says the things of this earth do grow strangely dim. 
You know why they do it? Because of the love of God, you're drawing closer and closer to God. And, and you, don't get me wrong, you love your children, you love your grandchildren, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm not saying that tonight. And you know, you would hate to leave them, you know. I would hate to leave Benice, I don't know who would cut the grass and stuff, but I don't know. But she cuts it, you know, she cuts it every now and then. But, but, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, those things like that is just normal, okay? But holding on to the earth is like holding on to nothing. But when you're holding on to Jesus, you're holding on to everything. It's everything that you'll ever need. So John says in John 4:18, he goes on to say, there's no fear in love. He says, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, I think that perfect love he's talking about in verse 18 is simply God's love for us because God's love is the only perfect love. And that's the love that will cast out fear. Now, one man says this. He said, God's love pulls this fear up by the roots and throws it out as if it were a poisonous weed. And then he says, this perfect love of God reaches its goal in our hearts, specifically when God frees us from all our sins through the Lord Jesus Christ, is what we just simply said. And he says, when the goal of God's love is attained in us, the fear of punishment and torment is thrown out of our hearts and is replaced with bold confidence as we grow in the love of God. It's, it's astounding because my brother Cal this morning, he read Jude 21. And Jude 21, and I've always looked at that verse and I just think about it the other day. I'm no uh, expositor. Or I don't write commentaries or anything. Sometimes I'm just simple on what the word of God says. But Jude says this. He exhorts believers to Keep themselves in the love of God. Now, immediately, works doctrine. What can I do to make God love me more? He can't love you any more than what he's loving you right now. He can't because he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with a perfect love. So, you know, immediately you think works doctrine, but I thought about it as I was looking at this, and the thing that you need to do is to stop doubting God's love for you. You need to more and more embrace and believe the love of God. That's how you keep anything we do for, towards us and God is by faith. And so, you know, you got to remember that you are beloved of God and you got to return your love to him. You got to remember your standing before God because it's always should be before your mind. And you need to exercise faith on what God says about his love for you and think about it some. And, you know, I'm guilty of not doing that myself. Another way you can enjoy and keep yourself in the love of God is by prayer and meditation. And some people who don't pray, they really experience and know very little of God's love for them. And when trouble comes, they immediately start doubting his love for him because they judge his love for them by their circumstances. I told the brethren in Holland, you know, if God gives you a million dollars, doesn't mean he loves you or he's blessed you. If God takes away a million from you, it don't mean he loves you or bless you. You know, his love for you is based on Jesus Christ and what he did. You know, and your circumstances have nothing to do. Now, he can bless you in this life and he can give you things that he does. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. But his love is not based on our circumstances in his life, in this life. 
So you're to keep yourselves in the love of God, and that's just simply meaning walking daily in fellowship with him, separated to him and his holy word. Our problem, brethren, is we doubt his love for us. That's where it is. You know, and I, like I said, I've learned, you know, it has nothing to do with my physical circumstances in this world. It's all about Christ and what he did. You know, he wants us to call upon his name. We can go to him in times of trouble and all that. The Bible's completely full of that. But the reason why you can is because the way has been paid for you to do it by the love of God, by the gospel of Christ. And you can approach a holy God. Now, the second fruit of perfected love of God in us is, is, and his goal being reached in us will manifest itself. And John says this in 1 John 4, 19 to 5, 1. It'll manifest itself in loving concern for each other. 1 John 4, 19, we all know the scripture by heart. We love him because he first loved us. And I'm just going to say simply things right here that the mark of God's people is love and it's not fear. And when we're tempted to fear and be dismayed at our circumstances in life, God's love for us not only drives away fear, but when we respond in faith, what happens is, is we respond to it by loving one another. And we, you know, our capacity to love one another, I just want to make it simple tonight, it comes from God. There would be no love in this room tonight if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for God's love in our hearts. You know, I tell you all the time, you know, you have all these different groups divided and every which way, you know, the Amalekites and the whateverites, they all hate each other and stuff like that. Do you realize that God could have took all those countries, the Moabites, the Amalekites and all them, and put them all together and made a church? Why? Because of his love. He could have done it. And so that's why we say, now here's what we say. They say, well, you boast in the bag. I'll boast on this. We have the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will straighten out every world problem that they've got. Somebody should say they mean because it will. And it'll bring harmony in the world. It'll bring harmony in churches that need it more. It'll bring harmony in families. It'll bring harmony in friendships. The love of God in Christ Jesus is the greatest healer in the world. Amen. And it can heal all these troubles and all these problems in the world. So John says that we respond by loving one another. And I said our capacity to love comes from God. Now John gives to us reasons why our love for God will express itself in love for the brethren. In 1 John 4.20, John says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And when he says hates his brother, he's talking about is habitually hating his brother or his sister. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen. Now, I'm not going to get to everything that he's saying in this passage right here because I read different things that people think that he's saying here, but I just want to point out a couple of simple things. One thing he's talked about in this passage is visibility and invisibility. Visibility, his brother whom he has seen, and invisibility, God whom he has not seen. 
And there, like I said, there's different interpretations of this passage. But what the first thing that he gives us here is the fact that our love for one another is a matter of opportunity. It's a matter of opportunity. You say, what are you saying? Our brethren on earth are visible and tangible, okay? And it gives us opportunities to demonstrate objectively the reality of the love of God that is in us. They just, they just give us opportunities. It's through the medium of loving our brothers and our love for God that is truly realized that we can love one another because he first loved us. And the way we express our love for one another is the love that God has expressed for us and the love that God has had for us. You know, there's plenty of needs. There's plenty of things that need to be done, you know, in the church and on the earth and things like that. But the Christian, what he will do is he will manifest the love of God that has been shed abroad in his heart as he goes and loves others. As he goes and loves his neighbor as himself, it's because God loved him that he understands how to do it. And John, I think 421 goes with this. He says, and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must also love his brother also. So love for God causes the other one to automatically happen. If you love God, you automatically will love your brother and sister. That's very simple, you know. But you say, what are you saying? You have ample opportunity to prove it in your life. There's all kind of opportunities for us to love one another. Always something that needs to be done. You know, there's always people that need ministry. You know, there's plenty of work in the church. You know, people say, well, I get bored with the church. You know, we sing the same old hymns and do this. Well, you're on the outside of Israel. You need to come inside and see what's wrong because there's plenty to do in the kingdom of God. There's plenty of work. There's plenty of hurting people. There's plenty of people that need to be taught and discipled. There is plenty of work to do in the kingdom of God. And you know what? The love of God will push you to do it. Yes, because that's what he did for us. The second thing is a matter of obedience. It's not an option, but it's a commandment that we love one another. He who is not loving his brother or sister they basically are disobeying a positive command of God and Jesus Christ because they both told us to do it. You say, well, you're telling me that I have to do it? Absolutely. It's a command. You know, Jesus said that he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. It's a command that we do it. Yes. It's, and it's a matter of obedience to that commandment. And also number three, and this one I really like. All Christians are family. First John 5, 1, all Christians are family. He said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. And so John once again explains who our brother and our sister is, and it's simply that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, or whoever believes that Jesus is a Christ is born into the family of God. Galatians 3.26, we are all sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And as you've been taught many, many times, all distinctions and barriers are done or worked away with. 
and that anybody that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart and he truly embraces him, he is, she is your brother or your sister. You are in the same family. Now, y'all looking at me hard. I'm telling you, you're in the same family. You know, we have people that come in and you've never seen them before. You don't know what they're about. You don't know what they're like. And it's like it's when they go on the road and stuff. And you know what? They all fit right in. Why? Because it's one spirit. It's one spirit. And it's one heart, you know. They are followers of Jesus Christ. So he says here, I'm going to remind you this, when he says that whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, this is what Spurgeon points out. He said, faith in the living God and his son Jesus Christ is always the result of the new birth and can never exist except in somebody who has been regenerated. And so John goes on to say that everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. And this is basically what he's saying. He's saying a child's love for his parents carries with it the love for his parents' other children. In other words, this love will embrace all the children of God. You know, if somebody came in tonight and came straight off the street and been drunk for six months and God saved him a while back and he's got liquor on his breath and everything, guess what? He's in the family. You know, and we look at him, well, we need to clean him up before he came in. Thank God he didn't have to clean you up before you came in. Because none of us would be in here tonight. We'd still be getting clean up but he's part of the family. You know, and I want to make this statement tonight. That somebody may call this heresy. But membership in a church is not make what makes us family. But believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is what makes us family. You need to be a member of a church. I'm not saying that. But that's not what unites us. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are truly a child of God. And you are part of of the family of God. And if you are a Christian tonight, you are to accept everybody that God puts in this family. Because some people say, yeah, but they're so weird and this, that, or the other. Hey, we're weird and stuff. You know, and I know I'm weird, so I, you know, I will admit it. Some of you won't even admit it, but I am weird. <laughs> but regardless of who God puts in, his family, or what condition they are in, you must accept them in the family of God. And you must show them the love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit of God. And the last thing, as John concludes his teaching on love in this letter, he speaks in chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, about love and obedience. And I'm not going to read all those scriptures, but... True love that we have for each other is grounded in love for God and obedience to his commandments. And love for God is expressed in obedience to his commands, and then it's also expressed, as I say it again, in our love for each other. I like what one man said. He said, the highest service that any man can render to humanity, interesting that he say this, is to love God and keep his commandments. I thought that was very good, what he says there. He said, and I'll tell you one reason why he said that is because Romans 13, 10 said, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
And you know, I remind you as we begin to close tonight that love is the fulfilling of the law. That is the, the greatest commandment that you have is to love God and to love one another. Romans 13, eight, and I'll read these to you. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. And say, he who loves one another has fulfilled the law or he who loves one another has satisfied or has done all that the law commands. Now, when this man says that the highest service that you can render to humanity is love God and keep his commandments, I want you to think about this tonight. What if everybody in the world loved God and kept his commandments? This world will be totally different than what you're looking at tonight in the world. Just think about it. Because a man who loves God and keeps his commandments is not going to do any harm to his neighbor. And he will love his neighbor as himself. And he will be one of the most valuable people that live in this world because he loves God. He's going to be valuable and he's going to love everybody in this world. You say, well, how do I love my neighbor? He says, you should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You shall not steal. You should not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, they are all summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling or love satisfies the law. And I can say this. This is the intended goal of God's love for us. We say we're salt and light. We should be salt and light. All Christians are valuable to the earth as salt and light. Why? I'm going back to it again. Because of the love of God. It's real simple. Because of the love of God. So as we close down tonight, I'm going to remind you of the Apostle John when he came to the point of his life. I told you this before, and he had to be carried into the church, and it's been passed down through tradition, uh, tradition that he could no longer preach. Thank God he kept going to church. They carried him in. You know, there's people that we have come here could be carried in, but they get here. You know, I was thinking about that. I said, man, John really used the means of grace. He said, I'm getting there one way or the other. You know, it was almost like the men that let the guy down through the ceiling and Jesus healed him. That's how bad he wanted to see Christ because he knew what he could do. And John, they carried him into the church. And so it said that he contented himself with the exhortation and he kept saying it over and over again. Little children love one another. And they said when his hearers worried of him saying this, they asked him why he urged this duty so constantly. And this is what he said. He said, because it's the Lord's command. And I love this right here. If only this be done, this is enough. And he said, and why he's, the reason why he's saying that is because love covers a multitude of sins. Love fulfills the law of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. You say, well, why are you pushing it here tonight? Because, brethren, love is what's going to preserve the unity and harmony of this church. Yes, God will preserve it through the spirit, but not without us loving one another. And if we're going to love one another, we're going to have to get rid of ourselves real quick. 
because you cannot love other people and love yourself more. You're to love your neighbor, it's okay to love yourself as you love yourself. Now, I'll leave you with this tonight. If we will love one another, and I'm gonna be John, because my name's John, it's, it's enough, it's enough. You say, well, y'all gonna stop preaching on repentance? No, 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 no. Love brings all that. But that's not where our problem is. Our problem is not so much of hearing preaching on repentance as it is loving one another. Because after we hear preaching on repentance, then we go and get together and churches are planted and stuff like that. And you look at them years down the road and they're fighting and doing everything. No. If we love one another, I promise you, all the rest of it will fall in place. And you'll have unity and harmony as a church like you've never seen before. You saying, are you saying we have problems in this church? No. We got all kind of problems in this church because we in it. But if we love one another, we can make it through this. You say, why? Because of the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for your holy word. And Father, we thank you that you loved us before you even made this world. And Father, we ask that this love that you have given to us, Lord, that we will go out and share it with this world. Lord, that we will not be ashamed of the gospel. And Lord, that we would go out and believe in the power of the gospel and preach it to lost sinners everywhere. Father, we thank you that you preserved us as a church over all these years. And Father, we take no glory from that. We give you the glory for all the blessed things that have been done amongst your people. Father, we do ask that those who are here that are outside the love of God, that you will draw them savingly to yourself tonight, that you will give them a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. And Father, that they will be new creatures in Christ as they leave this building tonight. Father, we thank you that we can meet in the name of your Holy Son. We ask it in his name. Amen.